As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. everyone and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry and today's show is an MLS Cup preview extravaganza. MLS Cup, that's Major League Soccer's championship game, is coming up on Saturday, December 12th. The game will be in Columbus, Ohio between the Columbus Crew, who are the Eastern Conference champions, and the Seattle Sounders, who came out on top in the West. To give us a ton of insight into the two teams playing in Saturday's MLS Cup, I'm going to be talking with not one, but two guests on today's show. One expert who has either covered or been involved with each club. Up first, Columbus Crew television analyst Jordan Angeli is going to be our crew guru. Then, the athletics Matt Pence, who has his finger right on the pulse of soccer in the Pacific Northwest, will be joining me to talk all things Sounders. So, without further ado, let's get into my MLS Cup conversations with Jordan Angeli and Matt Pence. I am now joined by Columbus Crew TV analyst and former professional soccer player Jordan Angeli. Jordan, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, of course, Joe. You ask and I'll... You know I, it's hard for me to say no when you ask. <laughs> well, I appreciate that and I appreciate you willing, you being willing to come on and shine a light on all things Columbus Crew related as they head into MLS Cup on Saturday. Later on, we're going to talk style of play, tactics, players, all of that stuff. And I want to get your perspective on some more big picture crew things too. But first, how cool is it that in your first year working with the crew, that the team is playing for a trophy on Saturday? I've been really struggling to capture the right descriptive word to use of how stinking cool this is. Because I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I, I You really feel it. And I, I think that that is something that the crew fans really to a exponential factor feel that they have an opportunity for some of them 1500 of them to potentially go to the stadium on Saturday and watch their team compete for a trophy but it really is just a cool journey and um for me to come into this club and I I've talked to you personally about this but to come into this club and know exactly what they stood for and where they wanted to go and how they were going to do it 
but also at the same time feel so welcomed and so um, that people acknowledged my what I knew about the game and how I spoke about the game while also pushing me to be better. I think it's really a testament to the culture that they have created because everybody has that same, uh, we trust you, but we also want to be better. And I think that that just flows through the veins of this club. So I'm just really lucky to be a part of it. What were the preseason expectations for this team? When you're having conversations and you ultimately get brought into Columbus, what are they talking about as the goal for the season? MLS Cup. MLS Cup. It was one of the first conversations I had with Caleb Porter about how he loved the depth of his team, how he really felt like there was something special, and how they were aiming and talking openly about how they wanted to win MLS Cup. And I think that that is a really interesting thing. And we actually just got off a media call with general manager Tim Bezbachenko and president and general manager Tim Bezbachenko and Caleb Porter. And they were saying that Tim had mentioned that they said that goal outwardly so people could join in on that. So people could know where they wanted to go and the fans could say, all right, that's our vision. That's where we're going. We're buying in. And I think that it really has... And not like this fan base needed igniting, but it has shown them that there's so much to look forward to in the future, even throughout this year. So much has happened this year than this year that Mm -hmm. you're talking about from the early season break to the MLS's back tournament, a compact schedule. And then for the Columbus crew specifically, a, a recent COVID outbreak. How have the crew managed to not only perform at a at a decent level this year, but to really thrive and make it all the way to MLS Cup on Saturday? Well, it's hard for me to say specifically with the COVID protocols and all that, because as uh, members of the club, but also not essential members to the day in and day out stuff that happened with the, the club, I don't know the exact protocols that they used, but I do know whatever protocols they were using really helped whenever there were, was an outbreak, because we had a couple of coaches or staff members test positive earlier in the year as well, but everything was really contained whenever it happened. So even this last COVID outbreak, it was really contained to this certain set of players who were kept separate from um, the players who had started and, and been in the start in 18 uh, before. So it's just interesting how the protocols um, were very specific and very held um, to that high standard because they knew how important it was to keep the players healthy on a number of different levels. And I think that's why where I want to go to next when you're saying how is how is how have they been successful? Well, I think it's that consistency of knowing what the goal is, but also knowing that every single day matters and how they train, how they interact with each other, their empathy, their family, um, how they've created this family feeling within the group, all of that adds up to the culture within this group and the mentality that they have. And I think when you put the people first and you look at them as players almost second, especially in a year like this with so many hard um, things that were happening and so much adversity, it really allows people to feel accepted and cared for. And then you get performances that uh, maybe are even better than than you you would before because the the player as a person feels uh, thought of and taken care of. It's been just over three years since Columbus fans and people around the American soccer world started and spread the Save the Crew movement after Anthony Precourt was ready to move the team to Austin, Texas. It's been just about two years since the crew were actually saved thanks to the hard work of a bunch of those fans in Columbus and other people around the country as well. I know this is your first year 
in Ohio. But from the time you've spent there, do you get the sense that Save the Crew is still at the forefront of people's minds where you are in Ohio? I think it's one of those things where as a club and as a supporters group, they're really proud of what people did to keep their club. Really proud. Really proud. But also, I think there's almost a shedding that is happening where everyone is saying, we were there, but we're not there anymore. And we acknowledge that this past couple years, the growth of the club within these couple years with the Haslams and uh, Dr. Pete Edwards as the owners and them doing everything they can to get the best people to run the club in Caleb Porter and then build a team around him that can build a, a top class team on the the pitch. I think you can see that shedding of of the old with the respect for what what it was, right? Because it is it is something that hasn't been done in sports ever. And, and for it to happen here in Columbus, I think they're really proud of that, but they also say okay, we've got so much to look forward to because of what we've built in the last couple of years. And I, I do want to know one of the things that I think is really cool is because of what happened. Um, someone actually wrote a book about it, Pete McGinty. And I want to just tell you guys, if you want to know about the Save the Crew movement and what really happened, Accidental Heroes is on sale. It's the grassroots movement that helped save the Columbus crew. It's on sale on Amazon. You can check it out as uh, Pete McGinty really goes into all the stories of how everything came together to save the team. So it's there, right? The stories are there, but there is such a great outlook for the future, which I think in some ways, as I as we talked previously about Caleb Porter and Tim Bezbachenko saying, we want to win MLS Cup, that already got people thinking to the future, to MLS Cup this year in 2020, to the new stadium next year. So big things to come for the crew. On the last show, uh, the last TSS episode I hosted, Bobby Warshaw came on and pitched a book that someone had written. Now Jordan is here as well doing the same thing. The TSS book club is only, yes. or the TSS book it's list real. rather, is very real and it's only getting longer. Jordan, I want to talk about the, the nitty gritty parts of this team, from the coach to the players, all of those things that are going to play a big part on Saturday, starting with Caleb Porter. And we're going to get to tactics in a minute. But I want a better understanding of what this guy is like as a person. For, for you and the times you've interacted with him, what is Columbus Crew Manager Caleb Porter like? I think he's really a, a passionate guy. And that passion transcends the sport. It, it is about how he talks about his players as people. It's about how he talks about his family. And um, I think we saw a really cool interaction with him and his family on uh, the broadcast over the weekend as he's just hugging his kids. He's really passionate. And when you have a passionate person, it, it gets people to buy in. And it it is just it's it oozes out of him. And I think it transfers to people around him and gets them passionate about what they're they're investing in and doing. So I, I would say he's passionate. I, I would also say that. uh I, I've been really, it's been cool to get to know him and just hear him talk about his growth and evolution as a coach as well and how much he's learned from when he was in Portland to his time now. And um, yeah, it's just cool to hear him talk about how much he's grown as a coach and as a leader in, in those few years, the year that he was away and now in his years with Columbus. Last year was a really difficult year. They didn't win a lot of games at the beginning of the season. But to manage really after the summer transfer window to get a team who only lost two games in the last 14 and then come into this season and really show how dominant they can be, 
I think it says a lot to the vision that he has and the passion that he has to implement that vision. Shifting over to the vision, over to the tactical style of play, how would you describe the the Columbus Crew's on-field style to a person who's maybe never watched them before but is planning on tuning in on Saturday to MLS Cup? I would say he he is his team wants the ball. They want the ball. They are possession oriented, but but it I would say that they want to manage the pace of the game with and without the ball. And a lot of that has to do with when they do have the ball, picking and choosing how quickly they can attack, because we've seen them and talked, Joe, on MLS Assist about how they can attack um, against New York Red Bulls. They scored two very different goals. One goal where they passed 23 times and then put it in the back of the net. So there's that possession, right? They're in control of the tempo. And then their other goal, it was two passes over a hundred and. 10 yards where Jassy Zardes ended up scoring off of a long dribble. Two very different goals, but two ways that they were they're very much in control of how they're attacking. And um, I think that when you talk about a possession team, you can almost lose out on on that aspect, right? That counterattack aspect. So I think he, he's a team, he coaches a team and his tactics are he wants to control the tempo of the game with and without the ball. And we really do see that in the way that the crew defend and they're willing to give possession to the other team sometimes in order to allow spaces to open up that then they can exploit. It's a really interesting way to watch the game. And I've really enjoyed watching it over the course of the year. When I watch the Columbus crew on both sides of the ball, one of the players who I think is is maybe the most important is Lucas Zellerayan as that number 10 playing in the middle in the attack, drifting from side to side, and then defensively, he'll join up with the number nine as the top of their defensive structure, whether they're pressing high, whether they're dropping deep. How important, at least in your opinion, Jordan, how important has Zellerayan been to the crew this season, their record signing that they brought in over the offseason? When you ask that question, they're saying, well, how important has he been? He's been really important. But I also think with with the crew, you can't say one piece is more important than the other because I really do think they function so well as a unit in the way that they can um, cover and create space for one another. But when you're talking about Lucas specifically and his impact on this team, he has been lights out one of one of the best players on the team because he is so silky smooth when the ball is at his feet and he will make you look ridiculous if you're the defender and have no shame in that, which I love a little bit. And he, he finds that extra little space. He finds the perfect threaded pass. This is a guy who you bring in on a big transfer fee, the biggest in club history. And so the expectations are there for him to help create. And and those are the players that you want to step up in the biggest moments. And we saw a big moment for him in MLS's back where he scores that free kick. And I think everybody's eyes open a little bit like, who is this guy? But to me, it's here in the last three games of the playoffs. He's got he's had four assists. And, and that's what you need from a playmaker. And he's willing to do the hard work defensively to help the team, too, and be a part of that unit that I was just talking about. And that helps him then attack and have some freedom with the playmakers that are also around him uh, to create something really special. One of my favorite things to do in Major League Soccer when I'm watching games and looking at film is to pick out my favorite tandems, my favorite pairs across the league. In Minnesota, who just lost to Seattle, more on that with Matt Pence later on. With Minnesota, it was fun to see Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molino become just an almost unstoppable team on the field. When I look at the crew, 
I see Lucas Alarion and Giassi Zardes as the attacking tandem on this team. And they're so fun to watch. Do you see that relationship on the field? How much fun do you have when you watch those two guys, Salarayan and Zardes, play together? I love it. I I love it because there's so many ways that they do play together. And I think when you're talking about Molino and Reynoso, a lot of the times they're a lot closer together because those players function really well in close, tight seams. But with Jassy Zardes and Lucas Celerayan, you see it in a variety of different ways. And even in the last game, there were moments where when the ball is trying to going from the defensive line all the way up to Giassi's artist to relieve some some pressure from the opposing team. Lucas Celerayan is right underneath him to scoop that layoff underneath. So they have a good relationship and to how they can win the second ball off of Jossie and then thread him in behind. But also, I feel like Lucas has this sixth sense as to where Jossie's artist is in the box because there was a opportunity in the second half, I believe, of the last game on on Sunday that I just don't know how Lucas Celerion gets the ball into the box to Jassy Zarda's foot that he ends up, I think Turner ends up making a save, but it was an incredible pass and they always know where each other are. And for you to look at those tandems and those players, I think that's one of the things that sticks out is their knowledge of time and space and where the other person is going to show up. 100%. I think one image that's ingrained in my head is Lucas Zellerayan in the crew's offensive shape. He's on the ball just outside the box on the right side of the field. So he's in that little half space, that channel on the right side of the attack. And Zellerayan will get on the ball and he'll whip it into the box for, for Jassi Zardes. They have that they have that connection where even, even if it's a pass in the box or if it's a pass from outside the box, Celerion can find Zardes, and because Jossi Zardes is so good at finding space, the -hmm. relationship works so well. Celerion can be the passer. Zardes can be the mover and the finisher. They complement each other perfectly. Because they're, I think Jassy, one of the things he's really good at is he doesn't always move into the space where he wants the ball. He moves into the space where he wants to pull the defender so then he can move then into the space that the defender creates. And so Lucas understands that relationship and knows that Jassy doesn't want the ball at the back post. He actually wants it in that near space in front of the defender he just pulled out of that space. So I think that is really cool about the relationship as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. That attacking combination gets a lot of buzz, and, and rightfully so. If we move deeper into the crew's midfield, though, we get another really, really good pair of players. It's Artur and Darlington Nagby. Darlington Nagby is a guy who a lot of U.S. men's national team fans know. Artur also might be working his way closer and closer to citizenship and might be uh, eventually eligible to play for the U.S. down the line. But these two guys play as the double pivot. They play as the two central midfielders for the Columbus crew. 
Can you describe how those two players work together and, and why are they so critical to the success and, and to how Caleb Porter wants to play? They work together because they complement each other on a couple of different things. Artur has a little bit more grit to him and he can be a ball winner and he can go into tackles and he can set the tone. And then Nagby can be the one who you can play the ball to. So if Artur gets the ball and he just needs an outlet, it doesn't matter where Nagby is. He can always play Nagby. Always. I'm not kidding you. Always. Everybody can play Nagby always because he's going to figure out a way to get out of it. And I think we've talked about it and it's been talked everywhere about how he's a little bit of a cheat code. You can play him the ball and he figures out a way to get through some pressure. So I think they know that each one of them has that strength, but they also... They they feel the game and they understand when they can contribute higher up the field and move into a higher space. Juxtaposely, on the other end, they figure out when they have to go back in between the two defenders or the two center backs and build out of the back. It's not as if one has to do a certain role. They can play and complement off each other. And I think that that is one of the things that works best is their fluidity in their roles and their ability to not only do the defensive work and get out of some pressure, but also contribute into the attack and recognize the times when they can get higher up on the field. Let's keep moving back in the lines. We started up top. Now we're moving back deeper into midfield. And now finally, we're at the back line. I I love to give center backs love. I think I think and hope everybody knows that I bring it up pretty much whenever I can. But when it comes to the crew, I think their whole back line needs to be in that conversation between starting center backs Jonathan Mensah and Josh Williams and the two fullbacks Harrison Offal and Milton Valenzuela. Jordan, do the crew have one of the best back lines in Major League Soccer? Yes, yes. And I think there's a lot of always a lot of conversation around Jonathan Mensah because there should be. He's been a great leader for this team. He has played every single minute of every single game this season, which that in its in and of of itself is a remarkable feat but also the players around him i think josh williams has had in his long career in mls this has been his best season that he's ever had he was crucial in the game over the weekend of just stepping in and making sure new england didn't have a clear pass into buxa or stepping to bow and winning the ball when he needed to win the ball Aerially, everything about his game on Sunday was spot on. And so those two have combined really well together as a center back tandem. And then I think for the outside backs, there's so much responsibility in, I guess not responsibility, but there's a role that they need to play in the attack a lot of the times. And Milton Valenzuela has been one of the most fun outside backs to watch with his combination with Pedro Santos and Lucas Celerayon. When those three get on the left side in the attacking third, you're bound to see one just nifty little pass over the top, a little cool combination, and they, they make it look so easy. So him and Harrison Offal like to get into the attack, but then also their willingness to defend and stay compact with their back line, I think has been one of the keys to this crew team. And especially over the weekend, it was a key to them. I think Milton Valenzuela had his best defensive game over the weekend. And these are when you want these players to feel most compact, most together. And so I, I'm, I'd put that back line against a lot of people. Looking at Saturday's MLS Cup specifically, how do you think the crew match up with the Seattle Sounders? What do the Sounders do that you think could cause Columbus some problems or vice versa? Joe, when I'm looking at these teams, they actually match up very similarly, don't you think? Yeah. There's a lot of, and I say characteristics, which I think is 
their personalities when they have the ball are different, but I think each team has very similar um, roles that they play. Jordan Morris, I think, could be compared to with his speed and behind uh, to Luis Diaz. You have Nico Ladero and Lucas Celarayan. You have the the work of the defensive midfielders and how important they are, just like Seattle's defensive midfielders. So I think there are a lot of similar uh, characteristics. I think it's going to be interesting to see how some of these matchups look. And I think one of the things I look to, I just mentioned Jordan Morris. So Jordan Morris and Harrison Awful, how that looks, how the crew stay compact to not give space in behind for Jordan Morris, but also don't allow the playmakers in front of the back line um, to have the ability to play him through. Because uh, you know that Seattle wants to allow you to have a little bit more of the ball, stretch your lines, and then go and, and counterattack. So the crew have to be on the top of their game when it comes to them having possession, knowing where the threat is at all times. One of the things we talked about on MLS Assist is the ability for the outside, the wingers for the crew to tuck inside and pin in the outside backs in attack. And I actually noticed Seattle doing that as well. So I think I think the play in the channel is going to be really interesting when you look at how each one of these teams are going to play. But to me, you mentioned center backs, and I think that might be the biggest maybe weakness on Seattle is, yes, their center backs have played well, but if you're looking and comparing center backs for the Columbus crew to the center backs of of uh, Seattle, I think... I think the crew win that battle and maybe Jassy's artist and Lucas Celarion are going to have a fun time trying to break down that, that center pairing there. Are Jassy's artist and Lucas Celarion the two guys who you're going to be most closely following in this game? Well, I think your eye always goes to them in the attack because they can be the flashiest, especially Lucas. He can, he can give a little pizzazz, a little flash, a, a laser of a shot off the post that nearly breaks the crossbar. Um, so, so he can give you that. It's hard to pick. It really is hard to pick for me one player that needs to be on top of his game. I think that there is still a question mark of who's going to play in, in goal for the Columbus crew. Is Aloy Room going to be available? If he's available, will he be able to play? Uh, do you keep Andrew Tarbell because he's been playing well? I think that's a question because I really do think Andrew Tarbell has done a great job, not just in the playoffs stepping up for Aloy Room, but during the season as well, showing some just veteran composure and willingness to make big plays when he uh, is called upon. So I think there's a lot of players, but I'm going to actually just say Darlington Nagby. He's my player I'm going to watch because I think that he is the guy that has won everywhere he's gone. So can he win here in his first year in Columbus? It's a good storyline. And and he's yeah. always a fun guy to watch as well. The ball oh, sticks gosh. to his foot until the perfect moment. You can't go so wrong fun. keeping an eye on Darlington Nagby. To close us out here, Jordan, which guys on the Sounders are you going to be keyed in on on Saturday? I mean, which guys are you maybe scared of? You mentioned Jordan Morris and what he can do against the back line. What do you see from them? When you said which guys are you, guys are you scared of, Rui Diaz. He is just, uh, he, he doesn't know anything but scoring goals in the playoffs. Nine playoff games, he has nine goals. That is a ridiculous stat. And uh, I think that the way that he plays that nine position is really interesting and it causes a lot of problems for, I would say, the two center backs and the two holding mids. 
that are in front of the center back. So I, I think that if you say who scares me, he scares me a little bit. <laughs> um, but then I, I'm going to look and see how I think one of the players that gets talked about, but I think gets lost a little bit in the mix is Alex Roldan. Because you talk about Nico Ladero and Jordan Morris and Rui Diaz, but where is Roldan going to play? Are they going to keep with Jovan Jones on the wing? Are they going to push Roldan to the wing so they can bring in Svensson after, after you have a, a goal to win the game in, in stoppage time? You might bring that guy on. I don't know. He seemed a little angry that he didn't get the start. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think Roldan kind of sets the intensity a lot of the times for this Sounders squad. So um, I'm going to say him, and that's going to be a fun matchup between him and Nagby as well, essentially. From players to tactics to save the crew, Jordan, thank you for coming on and for talking all things Columbus Crew and being the Columbus Crew guru. The crew guru. <laughs> that made me laugh. You're welcome, Joe. So so glad I could come on. And um, yeah, everybody uh, looking forward to... Saturday night in Columbus. It should be a good one. We've looked at one side of MLS Cup thanks to Jordan Angeli's expertise. Before we get to the Seattle side of things, I wanted to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Hims. In the past, you've probably heard us talking about Hims and how they're helping guys look their best. And if you haven't, well, you're about to. You see, a lot of us guys have a problem. 66% of men start to lose their hair by age 35. And once you've noticed your thinning hair, it can be too late. Enter 4hims.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. With Hims, there are no snake oil pills or gas station counter supplements. I mean, that stuff is sketchy. Instead, you get prescription solutions backed by science. And Hims was created by a guy who knows that some men's health conversations are easier online than in person. No more awkward in-person doctor's visits or long pharmacy lines. Instead, Forhims connects you to licensed medical professionals online, which could save you hours. It's completely confidential and discreet. All you have to do is answer a few questions, a medical professional will review, and they'll see if Hims is right for you. Today, Hims is giving you their best offer yet. If you're not happy with your results after 90 days, Hims will give you a full refund. And right now, listeners can get their very first visit absolutely free. So go to forhims.com slash total soccer. That's forhims.com slash total soccer to get your first visit for free and a 90 day refund period. Prescription products require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash total soccer. Thank you very much to Hims for sponsoring today's show. Now, on to my conversation with Matt Pence. I am now joined by The Athletic's Matt Pence. Matt, it's great to chat with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course, anytime. So before we get into players and style of play and all of those Seattle-related things, we have to talk about the Western Conference Final. We have to talk about it. Yesterday, Seattle won the West, coming back from a two-goal deficit to beat Minnesota United 3-2 in the final minutes of the game. You were there. You were at Lumen Field in Seattle for one of the craziest games that I can remember what was it like, both to cover a game in person in 2020 and then for it to be that game? Yeah, so it was both very epic in a very like particularly soccer way that you only really get in these playoff games and also very weird because everything else that was kind of going on. I mean, just being in a socially distanced press box is weird on its own. You have to 
the way they're doing it with MLS right now, the Sounders have done a good job. You have to get like a temperature check and all of these sort of like futuristic things just to get into the stadium. And ahead of the game last night, I, I kind of noticed this even on my way to the stadium. I usually drive down from my apartment. It kind of goes along the waterfront um, to, I guess, now Lumen Field. And halfway between my apartment and Lumen Field, as you've probably seen this on broadcast, the like big Seattle Great Wheel um, that's out on a pier there that it's always lit up for these big games. And Sounders colors, they kind of change it for the season. But it would become kind of this right of the postseason that you'd have all the different buildings lit up, but especially the wheel. But in a very particularly 2020 thing, the pier that the wheel is on is threatening to fall into the sound. So the wheel is currently shut down and it's not lit up or anything. It's a dark, just kind of there off to the right. And then I drive through Pioneer Square, which is usually packed with Sounders fans singing. I remember going to MLS Cup here last year and it's packed, like standing room only everywhere. And yesterday it's all empty. You get to the stadium, the stands are all empty. It's just a very... I don't know. It just doesn't necessarily feel right with what you think about for like a big MLS playoff game, but especially a Sounders playoff game in the way that they've been lately. But then the game kicks off and it was a great game. I mean, honestly, Minnesota played really, really well. They kind of took the game to the Sounders to a large degree. It was back and forth, end to end. It seemed like the Sounders were probably going to be done the later it goes. Will Bruin gets his goal. He's a really good story on his own. He's a guy who was coming off an ACL injury last year, managed to work his way back, and he wasn't even sure that he was ever going to have this opportunity again. He scores the goal that sparks the Seattle comeback. Gustav Svensson admitted last night that he had tested positive for COVID a couple weeks ago, coming back from international duty. Just got out of self-isolation last week to play in this game. He scores the game winner in the 93rd minute. The players are all going wild. So on top of just an incredible ending in a very weird atmosphere, just a lot of like interesting stories and emotions. And yeah, I mean, Brian Schmetzer called this one of the best, one of the best Sounders games of all time. And given that he's, he's been around the team, going back to his days as a player in 1980. Uh, I think he's a pretty good sort of authority to say that what happened last night doesn't come around very often. After that borderline ridiculous game last night, that Western Conference final, Seattle are advancing to their fourth MLS Cup in the last five years. Sustaining success is always challenging, but I think especially so in Major League Soccer. How has this club, Matt, been so consistently good over the last four, five years? I think it's a combination of organizational stability um, between Schmetzer as the head coach, having been an assistant under Ziggy Schmidt, who was the team's only ever MLS coach going back 11, 12 years now. Garth Lagerway as a general manager has really established himself as one of the best GMs in the league. There's just been a lot of stability behind the scenes that helps. But I think that more than anything else, I mean, the Sounders have just had really good players who have been proven that you can rely on them in really big games. And when you have somebody like a Nicholas Lodero, it's been here for five years now, this will be his fourth final. That's not a coincidence, I don't think. 
if you watch him in some of these really important moments, he's just a guy that they've really learned that they can rely upon. Last night, Raul Rui Diaz, who scored Seattle's second goal, it was his ninth MLS, ninth career MLS playoff goal in nine career MLS playoff games, plus six assists, which is just a crazy stat line, all things considered. And so I think it's just the Sounders, yeah, they have a good organizational identity, which always helps, but you also need to have those game breakers. And going back to the days of Clint Dempsey and Oba Femi Martins, which kind of bled into this current era, they've always had those guys there that you can count on in games like last night. I want to talk about a lot of those players, and believe me, we're going to. But before we get there, one of the most important parts of the Seattle Sounders team is head coach Brian Smetzer. You talked about him. He's been around this team for a long time. He's also in the final year of his contract with Seattle. And so far, to my knowledge, at least Seattle hasn't made a move to re-sign him. What's the latest on the Brian Schmetzer contract situation? As far as I know, the latest is that they had had they there had been conversations about that, obviously. But as far as I know, as of a week or two ago, there hadn't really been any meaningful changes, which is certainly a little bit bit of a concern if his contract is through the end of this year, given that we're approaching the second week of December. Um, so as far as I know, that's still a little bit in flux. I would imagine that this playoff run has probably done a whole, whole lot to increase his uh, bargaining power because uh, <laughs> it's hard to imagine them letting a guy walk who has taken them to four championship games in five years, let alone a hometown son who is beloved by the fans here, who has this really unique connection with the soccer culture here. It's hard to imagine that they don't get it over the line at this point, but that has been a little bit of attention in the background for sure. If you had to put a percent on it, I mean, it doesn't sound like it's very likely, but what percentage do you think it's likely that Brian Schmetzer is coaching a different team next year? I would say it's extremely low. It's just really hard to believe, even whenever all of this is going on. It's hard to picture him anywhere else just because of how wedded he is at the community. So let's give it 5% maybe just because I think kind of the crux here is that, I mean, Schmetzer has been really open about the fact that he loves it here and wants to be here. And he's a very sort of like genuine, straightforward guy. The problem is whenever you're so open about that, sometimes it doesn't really give you a lot of leverage no matter how successful you are. If you're like, well, I don't want to be anywhere else. I would love to stay here. So I think some of it is just that the Sounders have been trying to cut costs because of the coronavirus pandemic. And I'm sure that they would like to have Schmetzer take a little bit of a hometown discount while he wants to be compensated as one of the best coaches in the league. And given what's happened the last couple of weeks, it's hard to say he hasn't convincingly made that case. So I think it gets done sooner rather than later, I would imagine, within the next couple of weeks. Looking at the on-field stuff for the Sounders, how would you describe their style, Brian Schmetzer's style of play, to a person who hasn't really seen them play before but's planning on watching on Saturday? They are probably more conservative than you might think. I mean, Schmetzer actually even admitted that last night in his press conference, which he doesn't do often because he kind of rankles at the idea that they might not always be the most compelling team to watch. Um, but 
he was a defensive midfielder as a player. A lot of his top assistants were either defenders or defensive midfielders. He kind of sees the game as sort of like being built off of a solid defense. So they've got their formation is a 4-2-3-1 almost always with two very reliable defensive midfielders in front of a reliable back line. And they really make teams beat them or beat themselves. And then from that foundation, they have always kind of had those couple game-breaking stars that I mentioned earlier, Lodero, uh, Rui Diaz, Jordan Morris, who has had a really, really good year, and a guy like Jao Paulo, who was a good addition for the Sounders this year. So they have individual guys who have proven that they can take that one or two or three chances that they're going to get in the game they will take it and the Sounders are not going to let you easily break them down. Now that has evolved a little bit this year, I think especially with the addition of Jao Paulo, that they can play a little bit more sort of like weaving, overlapping, entertaining, passing soccer. But I would say that the bread and butter is still being able to rely on that defense and reverting back to that when they need to. Let's talk about Jao Paulo, shall we? I mean, he comes in from Botafogo in Brazil before the season starts I didn't know exactly what to make of him from the film I watched on him before he got to MLS, but I've been really impressed by what he's done in midfield this season. It sounds like you have as well. How have the Sounders liked what they've gotten out of him this year? Yeah, one of my favorite stories from early on in this year, back in like the before times when we could actually go to training and like <laughs> talk to players right after training, was that a lot of the guys had said like literally from the first practice session that Jao Paulo walked in, and they saw the way that he could pass the ball and his vision, like everybody was like, whoa, like we have a guy here. And when you hear professional athletes saying that from a guy that like they just met and who could even be in competition with some of them, it like, it says something that they had that initial reaction. And I think that you've seen that on the field. He's a truly like uh, by MLS standards, maybe even just above and beyond that. He's an incredible passer. Like he's just a really good, he sees the field really well. He can kind of curl in those long balls from side to side. Like he's just a very fun, intelligent passer to watch. And it's made the Sounders a lot more dynamic, having a guy behind Lodero, who's kind of the guy they've always relied on for that creativity, having another guy like one line behind him that can also pick out passes. It's made them a lot more dynamic and a lot more dangerous, I think. Who do you think is going to play next to him on Saturday? Paolo's been the the main fixture in that double pivot throughout most of this season. Christian Roldan's played there some. Gustav Svensson went healthy, and, and now he is available, as you said, has played there some. What do you think that pair is going to look like? That's a good question. I honestly think it's a little bit of a toss-up um, between Roldan and Svensson, just because Gustav had kind of really been the first-choice guy for much of the regular season, with Christian playing out on the wing. Um, but it does seem like Schmetzer had been sort of like riding his hot hand through the playoffs to this point, not wanting to change up the lineup. And Roldan and Paolo had been the guys, given that uh, Svensson had been out with his coronavirus diagnosis. So if I had to put money on it, I would say it will probably be Gustav and Jao Paolo next to each other with Roldan out on the wing, but I wouldn't be shocked either if Schmetzer kind of sticks with how it's been going with Christian back there and Jobin Jones on the wing again. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Let's just keep moving on back through the lineup, looking at the defense. In the buildup to last year's MLS Cup, I remember that a lot of the discourse surrounding Seattle outside of their, their continued appearances in those championship games a lot of the conversation was about the center back position. And I think that's been the case even since Chad Marshall retired in 2019. Where do the Sounders stand right now with their current center back group? So I think Yamar Gomez Andrade, who came in uh, at the beginning of the year from Columbia, he's been great. I mean, I think that he, they kind of have a guy who is going to be the guy, sort of that, like, not to like, get too ahead of myself and call him a new Chad Marshall because that's an insanely high standard to live up to. But I think that he's that guy that they've been looking for to kind of be that long-term replacement who they can count on. So he's kind of going to be the rock in the middle. But beyond that, almost every other position has kind of been switched in and out throughout this year. So I'm not sure. I would guess that it's probably going to be Shane O'Neill next to him again um, uh, with Javier Arriaga on the bench. but. I mean, O'Neal had been playing pretty well, had a couple screw-ups last night, looked a little bit shaky. Maybe you'll get, you go back to Ariaga, who's played well in big games. On the left wing, it's probably going to be Nuhu over Brad Smith, given how well Nuhu's played. But Brad Smith, another proven option, who had come to the Sounders from Bournemouth and played a little bit in the Premier League. And then at right back, I think that probably the biggest question mark on the field is going to be whether it's Alex Roldan or Kelvin Leardham, given that Alex Roldan has played the last couple games, a little bit more inexperienced. Christian's younger brother has really kind of come on this season, but he did kind of show some of that inexperience last night against Minnesota. Maybe you go with Leardham. Um, so the Sounders actually 
kind of as we get into this, there are a lot of question marks that you could see things shuffled around. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a set 11, especially given how slowly they started last night. Given all of the question marks that you've just walked us through along the back line, is that the Sounders weakness? Because this team is so strong in so many different areas. Is the defense kind of the, the one crack in their armor? I wouldn't necessarily say that just because, again, the way that the Sounders play, they do a really good job of shielding them to a degree. So it's pretty rare that you see the back line exposed to a degree. I think that maybe the biggest question mark is just sort of like having a good balance from side to side. I think that the new who Jordan Morris connection on the left has been really, really good. Um, But last night with Alex Roldan and Jovan Jones ahead of him on the right, they're just not quite as dynamic as the rest of the Sounders pieces, and it made them a little bit predictable. It allowed Minnesota to kind of key on the right side, shut that down, and they were eventually able to kind of like lock down the left, make the Sounders look a little bit predictable. So I think that even more than the back line, I'll be interested to see how Schmetzer kind of fits together that right side in order to be a little bit more balanced and not be quite as predictable against a team in Columbus and certainly has the capability of, of really pushing them on Saturday. And thankfully for Seattle, they have a guy in the middle of the attack, in the middle of attacking midfield, who can come and help things out on the right side or, or drift over and make that left side even stronger. It's Nico Ladera. We've held off talking about him as long as I can stomach. He's 31. But whenever you watch the Sounders play, he's doing everything, moving offensively, defensively, checking his shoulders, connecting the defense with the attack, connecting one side with the other side. Is Nico Ladero ever going to slow down? He certainly hasn't yet. Um, I think that he's probably sort of like earned the benefit of the doubt to continue to just kind of rely on him for as long as you can, for as long as he wants to go, because he does not show a lot of wear and tear despite being into his 30s. He still led the league in ground covered this year again, which he's kind of done over and over and over again. He was really near the top of the league in touches and passes. He's just, he's all over the place, as you, as you kind of alluded to. It's always kind of crazy. There's always at least one or two plays a game where the other team will be like building an attack outside the Sounders box, and you'll see somebody come flying in out of the right and pick off a pass, so then you'll kind of realize that it was Lodero tracking back 60 yards or whatever to make an interception. Because I, uh, the one thing I will say, though, is I do think that sometimes what gets lost in his work rate is just what a, like, tactical, skillful player he also is in attack. Like, he's just a really creative player. He has great touches, really good passer was obviously key on the corner kicks, the crosses he played in last night. He can score when you need him to. He really is as close to a complete package as you can get. And I wrote a story at the beginning of the playoffs making the case that Lodero is basically the defining MLS player of the past half decade. And now that he's heading to his fourth final in five years, kind of hard to argue with that when you see how important he's been for this team that's been so successful. And a a big part of Ladero's offensive contributions are his link-ups with Raul Ruiz Diaz. Both of the teams playing on Saturday have really, really strong goal scorers. The crew with Jossie Zardes and the Sounders with Raul Ruiz Diaz, both with 12 goals in the regular season. I know Ruiz Diaz has been on this team for several years now. How did he get connected with the Sounders? How do they bring him in? And then how has he been so effective? 
Yeah, they had been in the market um, for a number nine for a little while. It's actually, it's sort of a, a pretty good, I guess. I don't know if parable is the right word, but it, it's kind of a good story of, of the old cliche of making lemons out of lemonade that Rui Diaz actually came in because Jordan Morris got injured um, early in the 2018 season whenever he tore his ACL. And it had really become this question mark of whether Jordan was going to be Seattle's long-term answer at forward, whether he was going to get funneled out to the wing because Jordan always saw himself as a forward. That's where he wanted to play, and they were going to let him win that job. Jordan ends up tearing his ACL first game of the season down in the Champions League is out for the year, obviously a tough blow. The Sounders kind of have to take a a long look at it and be like, well, I guess that kind of forces our hand in terms of what we want to do going forward. So they immediately get in the market. They start shopping around for a potential long-term answer forward. Rui Rui Diaz is somebody who kind of jumps off the page right away. He had been on their radar even before Morris got hurt. They end up just sort of honing in on him, deciding that he's their guy. He comes in, very quickly establishes himself. And then you could honestly make the case that Morris has been way better off for it on his own, being shifted out to the wing. Him and Rui Diaz have really coexisted very well. I think it's kind of all worked out uh, for all parties here. Um, And Rui Diaz, it is kind of interesting, though, looking back to that origin story given that he might not be here at all, if not for that traumatic injury that kind of put into question the the short and long-term future of this team. Jordan Morris is probably the biggest name on the Sounders that we haven't talked about yet. And he's a a pretty polarizing figure within the American player pool. It seems like a lot of people on Twitter, at least, don't want to see him or any other MLS player called up by Greg Berhalter. But Matt, you've seen more of Jordan Morris than almost anyone out there. Where do you stand on his position with the national team? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Jordan's just kind of like the personification of the debate that's been going on, going back to like the the Clint Dempsey, Landon Donovan, like early primes in the early 2000s. What's, what's the best way to go? Do you need to play abroad? Do you need to play here? Jordan's kind of been that figure from the time he came into MLS and it's funny because Jordan actually talked to Landon ahead of his decision to stay in MLS. And they talked a lot about whether you needed to push outside your comfort zone or whether you needed to be within your comfort zone. And I think that Jordan has been really validated in his choice of deciding to stay in MLS, given that, I don't know, he said that he knew himself and that he, he wanted to be around family. He had a life here. He had been going to Sounders games since he was a kid. It was important to him to just kind of like start from home, be the hometown kid and go from there. And I think where it proved to be the most important was after his knee injury, because I think it would have been tougher for him to rehab alone because he's a guy that is really close with his family, kind of relies on his friends as kind of that social guy who needs that support system. It gave him that sort of network to lean on when he was working his way back and kind of had that hometown support. And he's been, I mean, really, really good ever since he came back last year, this year, for most of it, he's been really, really phenomenal. I mean, I think he was a finalist for MVP of the entire league, which says a lot. I think, I think that if you want to spin it forward and look ahead as to like your, if you want to ask where he goes from here, 
and where he needs to sort of like meet his ultimate potential, whether he needs to go abroad or stay here from this point on, that might be a different discussion. But to this point, I think that pretty much all of Jordan's choices have been validated. We've gone through tactics and players. As we look ahead to MLS Cup, how do you think the Sounders match up with the Columbus crew? What do you think we're going to see on Saturday? I think it'll be a very well-played, very disciplined game. Because I think that where the Sounders were able to get over the top last night was that Minnesota United had never really played in a game of that magnitude for, for a place in MLS Cup. They had a lot of guys who this was their first real experience at that level. And I think that that inexperience kind of came through in the end. And I think that Columbus is going to be a different team. They might not have the consistent recent success that the Sounders have had, but in Caleb Porter, you have a coach that won an MLS Cup in, in Portland. Darlington Nagby won it with him in Portland. Giassi Zardes has won a cup with the Galaxy. They have guys that have been there on the stage. They have an experienced coach. I think that it's going to be maybe a little bit less open and entertaining than, than the game last night was. But I think that two really well-drilled teams, two very good polished teams, I think it's going to be really even and well-played. And I think it's going to be a one-goal game probably one way or the other. An extra time wouldn't shock me. If everyone who listens to this podcast has some sort of tragic vision accident and they can only focus on one or two Seattle players when they watch MLS Cup, who would you recommend they keep their semi-functional eyes on with the Sounders? Oh, man, I really like this question a lot. <laughs> I've never heard it put this way. So so if we're picking two, let's go two. It's Lodero, obviously. I mean, he's just... I would argue that if you were to pick... If you had to choose one MLS player to watch in any game, it would be him. Just in the way he moves and the way he reads the game, you can almost learn a lot about like how soccer works watching him specifically. He's like that central of a focal point for the Sounders. So definitely Lodero. Then I also go Nuhu, um, the outside back, who's kind of a cult hero out here. He's, he's sort of like the best kind of irresponsible. It's an outside <laughs> back who will like do step overs back towards his own box, run forward whenever he feels like it. He once famously late in extra time against the Timbers in the playoffs, did a bicycle kick out of his own box just because like, why not? It's what he does. Consistently entertaining. So keep your eye on Nuhu if you have to look away from Lodero for a moment, because that's going to be your focal point. I love that. I love that so much. One last question for you, Matt. If the Seattle Sounders beat the Columbus crew on Saturday and win their third MLS Cup in five years, are they a dynasty? I don't know that there's really any other way to put it at that point, right? Especially having made it to MLS Cup in one of the other two years that they didn't win at all. I mean, four championship games in five years and three titles. Um, I think by any definition of a modern sports dynasty, they would qualify. Well, I'll be watching on Saturday to see if the dynasty is formed. Matt, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time to talk all things Seattle Sounders with me. Of course, enjoy the game this weekend. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll be back again soon.